Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 18th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, everyone. I'm Liz Mitchell. On July 15th, the Nurse Family Partnership, in conjunction with IU Health, will be hosting a maternal and infant advocacy event. The purpose of this event is to inform individuals of the health care disparities among minority pregnant women. An overarching goal is to inform women of color of how they can advocate for themselves when in a healthcare setting. And as defined by the Centers for Disease Control, infant mortality is the death of an infant before his or her first birthday. The infant mortality rate is the number of infant deaths for every 1,000 live births. In addition to providing key information about maternal and infant health, the infant mortality rate is an important marker of the overall health of a society. In 2020, the infant mortality rate in the United States was 5.4 deaths per 1,000 live births. In 2019, the infant mortality rate in non-Hispanic Black communities was 10.6%, while the rates in non-Hispanic white communities was 4.5%. And the Healthy People 2030 initiative, uh, it sets data-driven national objectives to improve health and well-being over the next decade. While rates of infant mortality are trending to desired levels, in communities of color, women and children are still inordinately dying in childbirth, and their deaths seem to be invisible. Here to discuss the July 15th Nurse and Family Partnership in Maternal and Infant Advocacy event is organizer Sierra Lee. She is an intern this summer with the partnership. Sierra, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here on your guys' show. Um, this is such a great opportunity for me to reach out to the Black community here in Bloomington. Um, I'm actually not originally from here. I'm from Indianapolis, so it's just a little bit more diverse there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm so honored to be on the show. I never thought I would be on a radio show. So um, just with the connections I've already made with you guys so far has really been, um, really been great. So thank you. <laughs> Well, Thank I must you. say, you you have a radio voice. Oh, really? <laughs> and you have that radio presence. So, Liz, we're going to have to sign her up to be one of our... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, joining um, Sierra, I, I do want to add, is Samantha Kirby, who is with IU Health, and she is a communications consultant with IU Health. And she's here to sort of uh, fill in any blanks that we may have or questions on policy or... Uh, just the relationship with IU Health and uh, the Nurse and Family Partnership. And uh, Samantha, it's glad to have, we're glad to have you here with us too. Thank you so much. And thanks for covering this topic. I love the Nurse Family Partnership team. I've worked with them for years and seeing the good that they do with these families is just, it's heartwarming. 
Excellent. Well, thank you. And and by all means, chime in if um, you want to add something or if you uh, correct the matter or something, by all means, uh, do that. Liz, she's got a radio voice too. You know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we found our next- The pay is great, so The, the pay is great. The retirement plan is there, the whole bit, so- <laughs> Okay, given that, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. So, July 15th, big day, and uh, it's going to be at the Monroe County Public Health Clinic, located at 333 East Miller Drive. And uh, for all of you expecting mothers, as well as those who are planning to uh, start a family, we encourage you. We All right, we beg you, come on out. It's from 12 to 3 in the conference room. Vital information. Vital information. I will say on the front end that we're going to make a flyer available on the website after this broadcast so that all you need to do is go there and they did something really nice. You could scan a a QR code and get even more information. So in this high-tech age, uh, everybody knows what to do. So with that, I'm going to turn this over to Sierra Lee. And if you could tell us a little bit about uh, what people can expect on the 15th of July. Yeah. So on the 15th of July, um, what um, will be planned at this event is that we're going to have um, different presenters from different programs, um, starting with Tandem. Tandem is a birthing center here located in Bloomington, and a lot of their focus is with doula services. Um, they also have postpartum doula services and just more information on what their birthing center is like. Um, so specifically, I asked for a doula to come in and to just give information on what a doula is, what doulas do for mothers, what's the plans. Um, And I just think that's just really important because I think people hear about doulas, but how do they access, how do they get access to to doulas? Where do they go? Um, And then I also hope to have someone from um, WIC that is uh, also part of IU Health at the clinic. Um, And from there, I hope to have a lactation consultant just to talk about the importance of breastfeeding, um, just different ways to breastfeed, you know, what, you know, the, the knots and what you should do. Um, and I, my main thing is that I really want this to be an opportunity for mothers to tell their experiences of while they were, um, you know, during their pregnancy, after their pregnancy, their experiences when they went to the doctors. Um, and most importantly, um, the target group that I am, um, wanting is just minority women here in Bloomington. Um, and, you know, that's that's where I really want to focus on. Um, but however, all is welcome. Um, and yeah, and I should also mention that there is going to be someone there um, that will just have information on Medicaid, how to get access to Medicaid and whatnot. So I really, um, really wanted to reach out to specific people that um, to, can just inform the community um, on information that maybe people don't even know about. And it can be just anything. If people have questions about, can I eat this? Can I, can I, can I go outside? Or just like any type of questions. Um, and I want it to be just welcoming, no, uh, no, no judgment. Um, and yeah, and, um, and we have a little incentive when it comes to the food. <laughs> and we also have, we'll be having goodie bags for the mom. So there'll be um, just little certain things like thermometers and stuff like that. And um like kind of like self-care things for the moms too, and as well as a raffle. So um, yeah, I just, like I said, I just want this to be an opportunity for women to just come and talk about their experiences, get the information that they need and um, enjoy themselves. So yeah. (laughs) One of the things you mentioned in the flyer, 
and in your communications with us was you want to teach women how to be their own advocate yes. and the, the healthcare office. Mm-hmm. Explain the intent behind that and why do you feel that yeah. that's necessary? Yeah. Um, with my experience of just things that I've learned in college when it comes to um, when it starting off with just the healthcare, well, the maternal mortality rates for Black women. Um, you know, it's always starting with what's what's happening in the situation where when they're in labor or during their pregnancy that they're not aware of. And I think it's important that women should know the right type of questions to ask their doctors, their physicians, their nurses, um, to articulate them, their, themselves in a sense that their phys, their healthcare professional will be able to listen to them, to hear them. And I think a lot of the times, you know, there's just this great assumption, um, the stereotype that Black women just aren't as competent as other races. And so it's already starting that, you know, um, and I say that there is an example. Um, there's an article called I Was Pregnant and in Crisis, All the Doctors and Nurses Saw Was an Incompetent Black Woman. Hmm. And um, it just talks about this Black woman who was experiencing labor pain and she didn't even realize it. Um, and she went to the doctors about two to three times. And each time they told her it was just constipation because she was feeling her pain and on her bottom instead of her, her back. Um, and as a result, Um, She sadly lost her baby. And while she was um, in labor, doctors were just saying really malicious things. Um, And she had to beg um, for an epidural just to get some type of pain medication. And so it's just in those moments when you're so vulnerable and, you know, you're, you're supposed to be trusting people who are there to support you, to take care of you. And in those moments when you feel like you're not being heard, what, you know, it's like, what else can you do, you know? And so that's where it comes from, like where I say it's so important to advocate for yourself, because if if you aren't advocating for yourself, sadly, there might not be other people who will. And I think it's just really important that um, we just learn how to, again, talk to our physicians in a way that they're listening to us, that they know that we are interested in learning what's going on with their body, that we care, that we want to get as much information to, you know, provide the best pregnancy experience for that woman, for their child. And um, I just think that's just so important because I think a lot of it is just, we don't know the information. We don't, a lot of the doctors, you know, you know, we'll see, we'll see a black patient, but you know, the way we're diagnosed is not the same as everybody. Black people are di- might be diagnosed differently. And so it's just like the awareness, the advocacy, just knowing, um, you know, I'm different think of me differently, think that, realize that I am a Black person. My pregnancy experience might not be the same as a white person or a Hispanic person. Like, we're all different. And so that's why I just think it's just important that you address these concerns with your physician right then, right when you start seeing your OBGYN, and just um, letting them know that you're on the same page as them, and that you're wanting this to be the, the most safest, healthiest, pregnancy, um, not only for, you know, for the mother, but also for the baby. Well, Sierra, um, thank you so much for explaining that. Um, I had always gotten a sense that things were pretty much the opposite, that mm-hmm. healthcare uh, physicians think that Black women are so strong, and that, that this came from, uh, hopefully, our audience and most people know that gynecology 
was created and studied with slave women yes. with no anesthetic. And maybe from, from that, they think, well, we don't need the care. We're so tough and strong. Um, and I thought in my mind, the, hearing these uh, statistics is just outrageous that it's so many, that there's these deaths. So do you see that too? Is not that we may not know, but they just think, well, white women are weak and black women are strong. Is that still in the mix? Oh, definitely. I actually just read an article about um, there are certain questions that are being asked to medical students and non-medical students on whether, you know, do you think Black people have a more t- pain tolerance? Do you think Black people have a bigger skull or something like that? Just those those questions that you didn't think we would still be asking till this day. So yes, there is still that idea that you know, Black women don't need as as much Tylenol while they're in the hospital or they're okay, they don't need an epidural. That's the exact same thing that the woman in the article that I mentioned, she was begging for an epidural because there, there's that assumption that, you know, they can, we can handle it. We can handle it. And there's also, um, you know, studies too, just saying that, um, you know, when we're, when we're facing the same pain tolerance as a white person, mm-hmm. we're going to be given less medication compared to our, our white counterpart just the idea that we don't need that much medication in our bodies. And it's just like those negative things. Oh, they're abusing it. Oh, they're okay. But it's just that undermining that, that, that under uh, undermining our pain is what really bothers me because you don't know what I'm going through, but if I'm telling you that I'm in pain, listen to me. But I think it's just that, that, that stereotype that's still in, in, medical students minds that's going when they become doctors they think of that same idea and it's it really is astonishing knowing how many the the stereotype that medical students do have going in thinking oh we have thicker skin or we have a higher pain tolerance so that's being passed down generations after generations of new medical students that really believe this and that's why we're still in the same predicament that we are in now with women dying more, um, more frequent rates, rate, black women dying at more frequent, frequent rates than white women, white women. And I just don't think it's there. There's no reason for it. And that reminds me, there's a lot of factors that go into why there is such a high mortality rates for women. And that being, you know, one socioeconomic status, racism, their environment. And it doesn't matter if you are a Black woman who is highly educated, who has insurance, who lives in a beautiful home. It doesn't matter. You're still going to be mistreated. You're still going to be undermined. You're still not going to be given the services that you are compared to a white woman. And that's in, in, um, that's the truth. There's been studies to, 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 to recognize that and to see that it's still happening. Um, so yeah, it's like, and I, and I wanted to bring up, um, the track, track star, uh, star Tori Bowie or Bowie, I'm sorry, however you pronounce her name, but with her dying during childbirth, she was a gold medalist in the Olympics, a wonderful person, a person that people would look up to, but the situation that she ended up was dying during, during childbirth. And um, that reminds me also is when it comes to preeclampsia. Black women um, have a six experience preeclampsia um, 
higher compared to white women. And again, that's, um, you know, preeclampsia is caused by, you know, chronic conditions and black women tend to have more experience, more chronic conditions. And those are factors that can lead to preeclampsia. And that's why so many black women do um, experience that and sadly die from preeclampsia as well. Yeah. Mm. So So you were talking about that one case and that brings to mind during COVID, the doctor who kept saying, uh, I'm really sick. I'm having, and she did a video. And if I die, it's because I'm not getting care. I'm telling them and I'm not getting the care. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, it it gets to a point, you know, it gets to a point where we can um, trust our doc, trust the physicians, you know, and I'm not saying all doctors are bad or all nurses. There are some great physicians out there. There are some great nurses out there, but Many of them are white physicians, white nurses, and it's just like, you know, there's going to be that stereotype. They might face that implicit racial bias that they may not even realize they have, but that's why I think it's just so important that this is where Black women, minority women in general, right when they go see their doctor, put their foot down and say this, I, 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 all the stories that I've learned about Black women dying during childbirth, during late labor, that is something that I, I don't want to be another st- statistic. And I'm saying that for myself as well. I don't want to be another statistic, you know? And so once you set that ground of this is what I want to happen, this is what I need to know. And I want you to know that I need for you to hear me. I think in my mind, that could just set a better tone for the situation when it comes to going to your appointments. You're more encouraged to ask questions. And I do want to say... um couple weeks ago, I was shadowing a nurse and one of her clients was a black woman and she's actually about to give, give birth in a couple, give couple weeks, which is really exciting. But when I, when I walked in, she was very kind and I noticed she had books. I was like, and these are books full of just questions about being pregnant, what happens after, you know, I give birth. And I just love that. That's advocacy for oneself, having this information, having these resources so that your nurse, so that your doctor knows that we are on the same page. I know what I want to be answered and I need for you to answer them for me. And I told her, I just said, I admire you. This is what I want for Black women to do, to have these books, to ask what I, and they weren't even questions that she needed to know then. She was like, well, how do I practice safe sleep for my baby? This and this. And it's just like, she's, she's so, she is so concerned about what's happening, going to happen in the future. And she wants to know that information so that she is prepared. And I, like I said, I just told her, I said, I truly admire you. This is what I want. This is what I want to see. And, um, and I know it's possible. It's just getting those resources, getting that information, asking for that information so that you are prepared for yourself. So, yeah. And I'm sorry if I rambled, but. <laughs> no, you, you gave us needed information. Thank you. Yes. Thanks. Uh, for those that have just joined us, uh, the, the voice that uh, was so eloquently describing a national uh, serious situation is uh, Sierra Lee. She's an intern with the Nurse and Family Partnership. And we're here talking about an upcoming event on July the 15th, this Saturday. Uh, there will be a program on maternal and infant advocacy. Uh, I wanted to go back to Tori Bowie's uh, sad, sad situation those within the ranks of the track community did 
did come back and, and did discuss this publicly. Allison Felix, who is another standout, uh, challenged the medical community to do more. And she had a scathing essay in, in a June 15th Time uh, article. So if you have time to read that, those listening, uh, please do. It's incidents like that, people at that level, that really draw attention to this dilemma, this problem. And as Liz said, the history of uh, obstetrics in America, as with other um, surgical procedures, it may have its roots in a dark history. But nevertheless, we have to deal with the here and now. So, and, I, and I'm so glad that you're an advocate of being an advocate for yourself to go in, educated, prepared with questions. And that healthcare professional should sit up and say, no, oh, this person's as concerned about the situation as, as I am. If, if you can't find your voice and if you feel that you can't be your own advocate, take someone in there with you. And they can speak on your behalf. Um, take the father in there with you. Uh, he needs to be a part of the situation. So uh, nevertheless, I, I thank you for that aspect of, of what you're planning to do. I, I want to go back to some of the causes of birth, birth uh, deaths, of um, infant mortality rates. One, people have uh, ranked them, I guess, or listed them. There are five big ones. Birth defects is one. Preterm births is another. Son's infant death syndrome. Injuries and maternal pregnancy complications, as we just have been talking about with Tori Boy. Will your program address these, or is there anything that either you or Samantha may want to share about some of these statistics as to what are the causes of infant mortality? And now this may stretch across all races and ethnicities, but in the Black community, it gets magnified. Anything else you'd like to share about that? Yeah, um... Yeah, within the event, um, although I will have all these wonderful people coming to provide this information, I do mm-hmm. want to emphasize the healthcare disparities amongst Black women. Um, so it's going to be a little lesson on just, you know, the causes. And um, there was a point brought up to me of just, you know, Black women face this stress that um, while they're pregnant, that I feel that um, non-Black people experience. And that is the stress of racism, knowing that they're going into this, wondering, is my doctor going to listen to me? Am am I going to be diagnosed correctly? A white woman might not have to think about that. And that's an additional stress that Black women have to face. Racism, being stereotyped, racial, being racially biased, all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also when it comes to socioeconomic, um, uh, so in socioeconomic status, um, you know, not being able to afford prenatal vitamins, vitamins of some sort, you know, being able to go to their doctor's appointments as often they, they can because their insurance may not cover it. Who knows, you know? Um, and so it's just like, especially someone's environment, you know, a lot of Black families have multi-generational family units. And so there's probably people, you know, within that environment who who possibly smoke or something like that. Just That's just not good for the baby, for the mother. Um, so there's just a lot of factors that contribute to um, maternal mortality rates. Um, and I think one of them, I, I, I stress this, is just the idea of just being stressed. And with stress can lead to high blood pressure. And with high blood pressure leads to pre, preeclampsia. So it's just an ongoing thing that really affects um, the mother as well as the infant. 
And um, interesting, interestingly enough, there is an, um, green, it's a Greenwood article, I can't think of the name of it, but it's dealing with racial concord, concordance. Um, when it comes to, you know, if a white doctor is treating a white, uh, white baby, or if the white doctor is treating a um, black baby. And so according to the article, it's that if um, a white, if a black baby is treated by a white doctor, their mortality, their mortality rate goes up compared to if it's a black doctor, their mortality is just, their mortality rates are just a little bit lower. So you can see that if a black baby is treated by a black physician, they might not deal with the serious, um, you know, having to go to the NICU or, or anything like that. So I just find it really interesting that it just shows that we do need more representation in the medical field because if racial concordance can impact, you know, a mortality rate of, of when it comes to mothers, when it comes to infants, I think that's really important to emphasize, you know, and it's, it just doesn't make, to, make sense to me that there is that difference between, you know, of a white physician is treating a black baby versus a white baby. There shouldn't be a difference. They should be treated equally. And again, there is other factors that may contribute. They might have some type of condition, some type of sickness, what what have you. But it it just it really bothers me that there is that difference between a white infant versus a black infant being treated by a white physician or a black physician. There shouldn't be that big of a disparity or any of of any sort. Um, and it just makes me think, I'm like, are they educated or white doctors educated on how, you know, if black babies are, you know, again, um, are they showing signs differently or is their skin a little different? But just being aware of those differences, knowing that we are not all the same, our 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 sicknesses may not show the same symptom, symptoms. That's really important to recognize. Um, and I think that's another way that, again, we can lower the disparity if we can just, if medical schools and how they um, educate medical students, the the information that they give, the courses that they, te- that they teach, mm-hmm. um, I think it would be really important and just addressing that there is such thing as racial bias. And if someone does have racial bias, recognize it and change it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's just really important um, to also, uh, also emphasize when it comes to medical schools, because that's where it can start too. That's how we we can change, change the, change the education system, um, implement new, more classes that talk about diversity, that talk about symptoms when it comes to uh, minority people, like how it might be presented differently. Um, and also, again, another um, factor is when it comes to like in medical books, what color skin do you typically see? What color, what color patients do you typically see? Again, that we're, we're, we're thinking that, oh, well, okay. Um, the only thing I know is this, this, and this, but it might not be shown the same when it's a person of color. So, but yeah, that there's just so many things that could cost that could, I, I believe could lower the disparities of Black women when it comes to African-American mortality rates in general with us having, um, you know, being ones with obesity rates or heart conditions or hypertension and all of that. Mm -hmm. But if we just teach it in a different way, teach it in a more inclusive manner in a more open open idea instead of being just thinking one way, I think it could help in 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 a lot of areas of, of medicine. I think it's also important to note that sometimes women feel like they shouldn't 
bring something up, they don't want to be perceived as being annoying or pushy. You know yourself better than anyone else. I've had many nurses say that to me, um, but you also know your child better than anyone else. So if you notice something, say something. If they try to sweep it under the rug, escalate. Because, I mean, you know yourself, you know your baby better than anyone else. And there's nothing else that they can say about that. You'll notice that something's wrong before anyone else. And I just wanted to mention, um, Sierra brought up safe sleep. There's a, the ABCs of safe sleep are something that a lot of people generationally don't think about. You're used to co-sleeping. That's what we used to do. You pretty up the crib, that sort of thing. ABCs of safe sleep are alone on your back in a crib. And community health team has a safe sleep program to help individuals who have lower income. Maybe they don't have a safe spot for their baby to sleep. So they provide a pack and play and some other useful um, stuff to make sure that there is a spot that is dedicated for your baby to have the safest sleep possible in your home or dwelling. Uh, Do you, uh, Samantha, uh, what about if you feel like your doctor's not listening to you, what are the chances of saying, hey, I don't want to see you. I want to see someone else. If you don't feel safe with your doctor, I would say find another doctor. The patient-doctor relationship is sacred. It's very important. If you don't feel safe with someone, you need to find someone that you are safe with because that's going to help with your stress too that Sierra was bringing up. If you have this relationship with your doctor or your nurse practitioner, your physician assistant, they're going to feel that connection too. They're going to be more invested in you as a person, not just as another patient that they're going to see that day. Mm-hmm. There, there is a, um, a philosophy towards that very thing. There, there's a practice here in Bloomington that will go nameless. Uh, that, that I personally interacted with when, when my two daughters were, were born. Uh, they have the practice of rotating doctors on various visits so that you got a chance to interact with everyone in that practice because when it came down to the actual delivery date, the doctor that you had first started with may not be on call or may, may not be available. Uh-huh. So you have a comfort level with all the other members of that practice. And, and that kind of surprised me because growing up, my dad was an OBGYN uh, physician. And I heard stories of how it was just he and his partner that handled most of the uh, workload. And um, some of the discussions that he would engage in or some of the venting he would do <laughs> would be that uh, he felt that maybe a patient was not cooperative or participating or doing their part for instance, if they were kind of on the OB side, then he was really on them to really lower that weight because it was harming them and, and the unborn child. Um, and women would come to me as I was growing up, say, oh, your daddy delivered my kids and oh, your daddy fussed at me all the time. And, and in the back of my mind, I said, well, yeah, you know, that's <laughs> that was him. But um, uh, and, and but one thing that he and his partner saw was a dramatic shift in the um, and the profile of their clients, where um, near the end of his practice, before he retired, it was maybe 80% uh, welfare. 
Whereas probably when he first started out, it wasn't that way at all. And so then you get into conditions, I mean, uh, questions such as, okay, education, how to eat properly during the prenatal phase. Because, you know, you got prenatal, you have the delivery, then you have the postpartum. And there are complications that can go on with postpartum. And as defined, you know, the the, uh, the rate is determined from birth through the first year or the first, yeah, the first year of birth. Um, hopefully the child can be successful and make it. So there's education and maybe even children giving birth to children. And that would break his heart. That would really break his heart. So, I mean, the dynamics have changed and, and it hasn't gotten too much better. And now this is not just germane to the black community, but this is both black and white. Um, it's a new dynamic with the type of, of woman that presents as pregnant these days. Where's she from? What's her background? Does she have a support system? Is the father in the mix? I mean, that, that's an important equation. Um, you know, you go to birthing classes, is it her cousin that's with her or her best, best friend or is it the father of this child? So, I mean, all communities have that issue. So it, it, it puts a lot of stress on the current practicing position. And we're also in a litigious age where there's a perception or if there's something that does go wrong, lawsuits are going to go flying. So that's an added stress on the healthcare professional that's offering their assistance. And, and this isn't all the answers, but this is my per, per, per perception of, of what could be going on. I mentioned postpartum, and postpartum is not a negative word. It's just a reality that after six weeks or so of delivery, there are emotional swings that go on with the mother. But a, 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 a good physician practitioner will be able to gauge when things might be going south a little bit and they need to intervene. Um, during your talk on the 15th, how do you plan to, or do you plan to incorporate a discussion on postpartum and what to look out for, or, or what are your thoughts, either one of you, your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, postpartum is definitely a, a, a good topic as well, um, and a lot of times women face postpartum depression, and I think a lot of women don't even realize that they might be facing postpartum mm-hmm. It's shown in different ways. It can be really minute or very severe. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's really important just recognizing that, oh, I'm not feeling the way I should be feeling, or I'm feeling a little different about myself and, you know, facing body dysmorphia and just, there's just a lot going on for a woman after they've given birth. You know, they're seeing them, themselves in a different different way it's been nine months and like they're seeing themselves in a new body and a new mindset they have to take care of their baby um especially women who um are single moms single parents like they're putting on this additional stress of having to you know how can I how can I afford baby formula how can I make make time to breastfeed if I have to go back to work the following week or something like that since you know women don't get um a long maternity leave paid leave at that um and so it's just like, there's so many factors that go into that, um, but also um, there's ways to take care of yourself. And I will be talking about that and just um, just talking to women that it's okay that you might be facing depression. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. That doesn't mean, you know, you need to, you need to, you know, think of yourself in a bad way because there is that negative stigma for people of color that, you know, there's no, I'm not depressed. I'm just wanting to ignore that. But once you address that and once you realize there's things you can do, whether that be seeking therapy, whether that be, um, 
you know, taking type of depression pills or something like that, seeking holistic alternatives, such as, you know, drinking more teas or um, going outside on a walk, going to take, going for um, like working out or some sort, you know, and just being around people who really support you is just so important. Um, and also I will say there will be prizes for postpartum bags, <laughs> um, which will have um, like pads in there with witch hazel, aloe vera, um, so that women can make padsicles too. So, um, and like a perineum bottle as well, and just like um, additional additional um, supplies for them. So I, I'm glad you mentioned uh, postpartum because that is definitely um, important to address. And my and question, is, go ahead. Um, okay, um, I, I defer to you, Liz, uh, but but thank you for letting me go anyway. Um, my question is the role of the pediatrician. Now you have your OBGYN up to and through delivery and perhaps through postpartum. But one thing I noticed with birth of my daughter is that pediatrician was there on day one, right. weighing weighing our children, measuring, coming back to report to my wife her observations, and then consulting her from day. One, telling her, I'll be seeing you sometime down in the future. And we really, that put us at ease. Mm -hmm. So the role of a, of a good pediatrician, how valuable is that? I think it's very valuable. Um, I actually, I also interned at Eskenazi Clinic in Indianapolis. So I was oh, yeah. to shadow um, a few pediatricians. And that's why I'm kind of like stuck between if I want to be a pediatrician or OBGYN, but, but we'll figure that out later in life. Okay. But, um, but going back to your question, I feel like pediatricians are so important because when the pediatrician is, you know, doing the appointment for the baby, it's not just only for the baby, it's also for the mother and the parents. And that's right. something I really like to highlight and recognize because when I was watching the physician, you know, um, checking the baby and doing um, just what she needed to do. She's also asking the mom, how are you doing? What, what's your mindset? What's your, what's your mindset been like? What's your, how have you been feeling? How's, um, how's your relationships going? Um, what's your household like? And once you set the, that, that, that trust right then and there with the, the, the mother or the father, what have you, um, I think that's a great way for, for parents to say, I love this pediatrician. This is the pediatrician that my my son daughter is going to have until they're 18 years old. And it's just so good to just have a familiar face going to a family doctor that's familiar with you guys and, you know, setting stone like, okay, this, this, this is your child. This is what's going on with your child. Um, and then going on, just like following up with that person every, every time they have an appointment. So pediatricians, I, 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 I love um, even my pediatrician, I made him become my family doctor now. So it's just like, you know, once you have such a great relationship with your doctor and it doesn't matter. And, and I think that's something I also want to emphasize, even though I would love to have a black doctor, whether it be for my OBGYN, OBGYN or just my regular doctor, it's great. But there's also other amazing doctors out there, out there, out there as well. And like my, my physician, he's a white male. I never thought I would be so close with him, have such a great, great relationship with him. Like I say, he's my doctor. He's my, my therapist. He's all in one. And so it's just, it's so important just to set that foundation with your pediatrician. And, um, 
like Samantha said, if it doesn't work with that, if it, if you have like a bad feeling with them, if they aren't comfortable, if you aren't comfortable with them, you have a right to change your doctor. You have a right to find someone that is going to help you. That's going to be the person that you trust. That's going to be taking care of your child. Um, and that's just another thing of just, um, just having a great support, support system, not only from your family, but also from um, the health care providers that you will be seeking. Uh, my thoughts are that this is a wonderful event that you've got planned. How how do we or or you, Samantha, uh, either one of you, reach out to those? I'm thinking you you're you're going to get the the middle class. How are you going to reach out to those that are maybe unsheltered, uh, maybe don't want to come because they've used drugs or they're smoking? Um, just that demographic that that need to come that you really need to reach out to they may not hear about this or even know to come so how do you plan on getting those folks there those women there if i can interject so yes. one of the best methods of communicating is word of mouth especially with those communities because you're not going to feel safe. If you just see an ad on Facebook and you're using and you're pregnant, you know, you need help. But if someone talks to you that, you know, and they're saying this group, they, they're not there to judge you. They're just there to help. That's what they need to know. And then just make sure you have the information so they know how to get there. But the word of mouth, I think is one of the most important things for getting this amazing program out and all the other services that these individuals need. Yeah, Thank you. definitely agree with that. Um, and I have also gone to, um, and I do plan to go to like uh, Shalom or like Middleway House. Um, I have given them flyers there too for just people who um, who are low SES. And then I also have gone to Han- Hannah Center um, for moms that do go there. So I have been trying to... Um, really been getting, trying to get the word out. And I really do hope that the event is successful. I want, I think my main thing, I really want there to be diversity. I want their people to be from different backgrounds Mm -hmm. Um, because I just feel like if I'm not getting the group that I want, I feel like I'm not doing what I need to do for, for my community, for, for the black community. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great question. And I, I, I really hope that people do, um, come even if they aren't able to, you know, have access to a phone or have access to a radio or whatnot. I really hope that this is, um, going out into the community. You know, there, there are other uh, outreach places, um, I'm thinking of, it's a cornerstone. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. My mind went blank. The Stride Center that just started operating. There are other places that, that deal frontline with people who are in crisis, as well as uh, those who may be ashamed because of patterns of usage. Um, they may not want to come. So if you can get a flyer in the director's hands, as well as those who are counselors, that would be great. Medals, even um, a place like medals. We, we have contacts and I plan to send this flyer out to a lot of people, just, just so you know. But I, I think this is something, you know, I read also about the Healthy People 2030 initiative. And from what I just briefly read, it's an initiative to improve everything within a span of a decade. 
And I have to think that the trends, I don't know if the, the benchmark with the benchmark if the trend line is is going down or if infant mortality rates are still high and not really improving the way they want. Uh, I hope that's an initiative that uh, has answers uh, because it's going to take sort of unorthodox answers or, or unorthodox solutions to get to people. Pregnancy can be a very personal thing. Uh, it could be a thing that, well, my mother's been pregnant before. She'll tell me what to do. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's, we have these services. A lot of them are free. Uh, this particular program will be held at the uh, Monroe County um, Health Clinic. And there's no charge for this. And it's just information. So re- reducing the stigma of shame. And just getting people out. So if if with the remaining time we have, we have probably about five minutes. If there's some things we have not touched on, by all means, let's talk about it now. Uh, I like that Healthy People 2030 initiative. I've not really delved too, too deeply into that, but I think it's something that will help ultimately. But if there's something that we've not touched on tonight, here's uh, the time for you or Samantha to go ahead and express it. Um, I guess the last thing is, um, I wouldn't be here if I didn't have the opportunity to um, uh, intern at Nurse Family Partnership. And so I do want to give a little bit of information on what Nurse Family Partnership is and what their goals is, um, because I had never heard of NFP. And NFP is a is all over America, and I didn't know that. Um, so I think this is a great opportunity for mothers who are pregnant. Um, and so I'll just give a little information on it. Um, Nurse Family Partnership is a program in which nurses regularly visit first-time moms, and usually starting from the beginning of their pregnancy up until the child turns two years old. And so once the child turns two years old, it's basically they graduate from the program. Um and uh you can only join the program once. So that's the main thing too. Um, the, the three main goals of NFP is for mothers to have a healthier pregnancy, um, as well as for the baby, um, and also have an improved life course and just to be self-sufficient. There is no cost to the program, which is great. However, there is a certain eligibility for people who do want to um, enroll into the program. Um, that being, it has to be your first time pregnancy with no history of live birth. Um, pregnant for 28 weeks or less, and that individual um, is uh, must be, well, I don't want to say must be, but um, they're low-income pregnant individuals, so if they have Medicaid, if they're on WIC, SNAP, um, you would then be considered eligible. Um, and I've seen just great, great work from the nurses, very loving, very supported, supportive in every which way, um, and I just love like just the the resources that they have when it comes to um, when it comes to, um, you know, just having just simple things like, you know, having a yoga ball or having a thermometer for their baby or um, like, uh, I'm sorry, uh, like baby formulas, just all sorts of resources for the moms, whatever they need. They'll do everything that they can do to provide and then found out they can sometimes give out crock bots. So it's just like those things that you might not even think you would need, um, they will have for you. And um, I do want to emphasize the demographics of their clients in NFP. Um, it is 75% white, um, 88.5% Black, 1.9% Asian, and 10.4% who identifies multiracial. 
And I was just thinking, I'm just like, you know, again, there's that big disparity of who all of the clients are. Um, and I just, you know, was thinking, okay, like how, what's the demographic for like in Bloomington? And it's honestly kind of similar, similar statistics, but that doesn't mean we can't get more people of color to join the program. Um, and again, I just think like, how come we don't know about NFP? There are there people who don't even know the program exists? Like, and that's, that's again, I, I, I don't know what the cause is, but I know um, that this is a great program that could help so many minority women who feel like they just can't can't do it themselves or who need the support, who need that additional support from a nurse who's going to listen to them. That's going to be there. You know, they can text them whenever, um, contact, them, talk, contact them. They can see their nurse every week. They can see them every two weeks, however often that client wants to see them. So it's a very flexible program. Um, and I really highly encourage um, for all to join this program because it's just, it's great. It, it really is great. Where do they go to get to uh, find out information or to join this program? Yeah, so I, um, Samantha, I'm not, I'm not specifically sure, but um, I believe you can. There is a phone number for NFP, so you can call that number. I don't have it with me right now, but if you I look- have it, okay, cool. Eight one two three five three three two zero zero. We also have um, a web page, so you can just look up Nurse Family Partnership IU Health, and you should be able to just find it. Um, it should be very close to the top of your Google search. Okay, you'll give that number out one more time, please. Eight one two three five three three two zero zero. Okay. And there's also interpreter services. So if you're Spanish speaking, um, if you speak French, they do have a serv- service that um, that that allows you to speak to an interpreter during those visits. And, you know, sometimes I think, uh, will that, you know, impact the relationship between the client and the nurse? And I have not seen uh, any like difference or lack of interest or, or energy. It's It's the same. They feel that love and support from their nurse. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, unfortunately, we've come to the end. This hour went by faster than it, ladies. Thank you so much. Our thanks to Sierra Lee, an intern with the Nurse and Family Partnership, for joining us to discuss an upcoming maternal and infant advocacy event scheduled for Saturday, July 15th, from 12 to 3 p.m. in the conference room at the Monroe County Public Health Clinic, located at 333 East Miller Drive. We have the flyer. We will have the flyer with a QR code on the Bring It On website. And to download the show or to access the flyer, you go to www.wfhb.org. And in the top right search box, type bring it on. And thank you to Samantha for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that number, um, once again, that was given out a few moments ago was 812-353-3200. 812-353-3200. Bring it on has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringing on at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringing on at wfhb.org. Welcome to Dark Past, Bright Future. 
lessons in African-American history that you won't read about in any textbook. Telling the stories of the struggle of those who came before us to build a better path to a brighter future for all of us. Welcome to a new edition of Dark Past, Bright Future. This edition may contain sensitive subjects for young children. Parents, is up to your discretion. Who was the first gynecologist? How did the study of gynecology begin? The father of gynecology is known to be J. Marion Sims. He rose from humble origins to become a successful surgeon, teacher, and writer. After hearing this story, my question to you is, is he a hero or a villain? Marion Sims, a 19th century gynecologist, experimented on enslaved women from a pedestal in Central Park. He developed a treatment for holes between the vagina and the bladder. The medical term for this condition is called fistulus. Fistulus kept enslaved women women from bearing children and caused them difficulty in working. Now keep in mind that those women were property. Those women could not dissent. Those women had value to the slaveholders for reproduction. How many enslaved children could they produce? As well as the free labor they provided. How much work could they do in the field? Marion Sims had access to black women's bodies to experiment on, to examine, and to supposedly cure diseases and fix disorders. In his autobiography, Sims describes negotiating with slave owners that he would perform operations and experiments that would not endanger their lives, and he would not charge the slave owner a cent for keeping them, but the owner had to pay the taxes and clothe them. The surgeries, which were repeated again and again, most of the time on the same women, were extremely painful. He also had written in his autobiography, and I quote, the introducing of the bent handle of a spoon, I saw everything as no man has ever seen before. End of quote. Sim spent years experimenting on enslaved women, but only three of them are known Lucy, Betsy, and Anarcha. Poet Bettina Judd drew on her own experience as a black woman who saw doctors dismiss her pain as she endured an agonizing ovarian torsion. As she reflected on the experiences of Lucy and Betsy and Anarcha, her poem, Betsy Invents the Speculum. I have bent in other ways to open the body, make space. Sims invents the speculum. I invent the winching. The if you must of it, the looking away, the here of discovery. The use of black bodies as medical test subjects falls into a history that was deeply intertwined with the institution of slavery. And post-slavery includes the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, the Henrietta Lacks experiment, and the experiment conducted in Princeton, Indiana, on 10 black children from Lyle's Station. What has been echoed in contemporary medical practice is that black patients continue to receive less pain medication than white patients. And definitely... There are health disparities here in America. Black women are far more likely to die during pregnancy or childbirth than white women. There was a time when many white physicians had the misguided belief that black people did not feel pain like white people. Dr. John A. Kinney wrote a paper in 1941 entitled The Negro's Contribution to Surgery. It said that a monument should be built and dedicated to the numerous, nameless Negroes who have contributed 
so much to surgery by the guinea pig method. The paper was published in the Journal of the National Medical Association. Are there health disparities today? Yes. There are several reasons for this problem. The communities that are historically low income have experienced generations of systematic divestment, which has led to large gaps in infrastructure and resources. Health disparities are directly linked to the historical and current unequal distribution of social, political, economic, and environmental resources. Raising awareness through education can help address health inequality. Improving resource coordination can also help populations most harmed by health disparities. Maybe healthcare organizations can help reduce ethnic health disparities by offering cultural competency training to healthcare providers. It may also be helpful to expand health insurance coverage, improving the capacity and the number of providers in undeserved or unserved, underdeserved, in underserved communities. This concludes this edition of Dark Past, Bright Future. Thank you for listening. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. Bringing on executive producer is none other than the handsome Clarence Boone. Assistant producer is myself, Liz Mitchell. Our consultant and WFHB News Department director is Cade Young. Program engineer is Chantal LaFontante. Original theme music was created by Jamal Ephraim, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Liz Mitchell. And I'm Clarence Boone. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.